0: Welcome back to another episode of Fortitude Radio. Today, I am joined by another one of my coaches, a professional mentor and friend, Dr. Sean Pastuch. Sean is the founder of a company called Active Life. Um, I met Sean in September of 2019 at a coaches development workshop that Active Life hosted, you know, back when you were able to meet in groups of more than 10 people. After day one of the coaches Awareness Seminar, I believe that was the name, if I recall correctly, uh, during a social hour, Seth, my partner in CrossFit Angola, and I, we got to talk with Sean about something that, that was just kind of coming down the Active Life pipeline. It was the ProPath. This is, for us, was a coach leadership business development course provided by Active Life that was meant to help us as gym owners create a business that finally solved real problems for clients and provided career opportunities for passionate professionals. A year and a half later, Fortitude Strength and CrossFit Angola are in the best position, making the greatest impact on our communities, our towns um, that we ever have been while creating opportunities for staff. Opportunities that in 2015, seemed like a pie in the sky type of dream for fortitude strength when it began. Now, the road has been challenging, and it has required fortitude, which is based on what I know about you, Dr. Sean, is a characteristic that you yourself have cultivated. So imagine a, region, a reasonable place to start, rather, uh, for our listeners is the road so far. What brought you here?
1: Oh, man. First of all, thank you for the intro. It was good. I appreciate that. The, the sequence of events that led us here could take two, three, four hours to discuss. So I will give you the the rundown, the, the, the short, sweet, to the point rundown. I started my fitness career in 2004 in the weight room at University of Maryland. Because I wasn't jacked enough to make the baseball team. And so I wanted to learn how to get jacked. And I was like, I might as well teach people fitness from what I've learned. I was an exercise science major, even though it was called socio-behavioral and physical wellness, because I wanted to incorporate other classes, Maybe I'll major. We don't need to go down that path. Um, I get out. I was a personal trainer at Equinox. And I got frustrated that every time I would bring one of my clients to the physical therapy suite, and asked them what do I do about this person's shoulder pain? They would say just work around it. I was like, that's not groundbreaking. There's nothing interesting about that. So I went to chiropractic school to try to learn how to save the world and fix those problems. And I graduated chiropractic school. And the, you know, the, the patients who were coming to the office were like, fix me, fix me, fix me. I'm like, I don't want, I can't fix you. I can put you on the path to fixing yourself, but I can't fix you. So I started treating patients out of a CrossFit gym. And I was like, wow, these people actually are taking responsibility for their own health and fitness. I want to work with more people like this. So I opened my own. Fast forward, we had owned three gyms. I had lost one in a hurricane. I had mismanaged one from a distance, lost that one due to just straight up going out of business. And the third one was doing really well. My head coach was making close to $80,000 a year. My number two coach was making around $55,000 a year. And I had real career coaches working for me. I also had patients who were flying in from all around the world to be evaluated in my clinic. We're talking about CrossFit Games athletes, CrossFit Games champions, uh, Olympians, professional baseball players, professional rugby players, and People more like you and me, Cody, who were, I had patients flying from Barbados, from Spain, from California, from Finland for evaluations in my office in New York. Like we're not in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. I'm in, I'm in small town, New York, downstate. So it was wild, but it wasn't fulfilling for me. It, It never got me where I wanted to be. And so we started teaching coaches how to do what we were doing because they were asking. And then gym owners who saw the success their coaches were having started asking us for that. So we started teaching gym owners. And truth be told, the biggest reason why we still teach gym owners how to do what we teach gym owners to do is because we lack the confidence that if we don't, somebody else will. And therefore, there will be incentive for coaches to become professionals. If we don't teach the gyms how to employ, incentivize, and develop a professional coach, I believe professional coaches become commoditized and there's no incentive to become one. Mm. That's why we teach gyms.
0: Something that you had had brought in there um, that I definitely want to dive into today is the, the realization that you had with your clients that I can help you, but I cannot fix you. Mm. And this brings up an interesting point for me in, if I'm correct, the, one of the missions of active life is to be the healthcare clinic is that the healthcare clinic of the future is the gym and the Mm. healthcare provider of the future is the coach.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now I've noticed recently in messaging, there's a gap, right? From where this dream state is and where we are right now. What bricks, steps, how do we start to navigate this gap? How big is it? What steps do we take? How do we do this and not be at odds with an industry that is already established
1: as healthcare? We will be in the short term until they understand that we're here to, to join them, not to replace them. Uh, and the size of the gap is, in my opinion, larger than either of the industries that the gap lives between. So our ambition at active life is that in 20 years, 20, there are more active life professionals, which is the title for a coach who's gone through our entire education, than there are physical therapists in the United States. So there's 256,000, I believe, physical therapists, as of today, I'd have to look it up to be exact, but I'm in the ballpark by at least 10%. There will be more active life professionals than that in 20 years. And it won't be because they replaced physical therapists. It will be because physical therapists and chiropractors and orthopedists and osteopaths and physiatrists have all decided it would be a good idea to collaborate with an active life professional and even to employ one in our clinic. It will be because every gym will understand we need an active life professional on our staff or we're going to lose the clients who that person could help to the healthcare industry, which is then going to send that client to an active life professional who doesn't work here. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the pinnacle of where we want to go. And the way I like to describe it for people who don't understand how that could possibly be a thing is look at the physician assistant position. In the United States right now, it might surprise you to know that there are more physician assistants than there are medical doctors. Mm -hmm. By almost 10%. Well, physician assistants didn't even gain licensure until 1968. So when you look at the growth of the physician assistant, and by the way, the reason why the physician assistant came into being is because after the Vietnam War and during the Vietnam War, Men were coming back from the war, more skilled at helping patients with acute injury, acute trauma, acute problems than people who just graduated medical school. If you were a medic in the field serving in Vietnam, you saw stuff that the medical school student had only read about Mm -hmm. and you were prepared to handle it. And so doctors said, forget about the medical student. I'll take the physician assistant on my staff all day long. And now physician assistants are in every medical clinic and they start their pay at a hundred thousand dollars. It's not only a viable industry, it's a necessary industry. And there is still some strife between medical doctors and physician assistants. Absolutely. But uh, they are accepted. And everyone knows they're not going anywhere.
0: So do you believe that the, the experience created an opportunity to fill a necessity that was already there.
1: Yeah. And it's the same for the coaches. You know, when I get the argument all the time from really progressive and, and quality physical therapists and chiropractors, what you're designing already exists. It's called a physical therapist and a chiropractor. And my answer to them is what you're describing is the exception to the rule that is the industry in which you serve. And when you work to do that, when you work to fill that space while progressive and while ambitious and while aspirational, that every doctor would do that. You depart from what the public perception of your career is. And we can either fight public perception and change a very uh, set industry to be something that it frankly today is not, or we can create a new industry from scratch and design it however we want. I'm not asking you to compete with it. I'm asking you to join it.
0: Mm. I think that's important right there. One of the things that, and this may be my limited perception on a local scale, is that once we started changing our messaging and once we started leaning into um, healthcare clinic of the future, healthcare provider of the future as the coach, there seemed to be An amount of pushback Mm -hmm. or I find that chiropractors, especially in this area, are used to attempting to solve problems that I imagine they are ill-equipped to solve.
1: Like cancer and arthritis in the same clinic with the same treatment? Exactly. Yeah.
0: Things like that. Or even as so much as even getting more micro, right? A knee problem, an ankle problem. Um, You know, we're gonna KT, we're gonna K tape it. We're going to throw you on this vibrating table and that's going to solve your problem.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I have yet to see, and I imagine there hasn't been anything else that has been able to step into that space. I have yet to see a willingness from certain local professionals, at least, to say, you know what? I might not be the, r- the right fit to help you solve this problem.
1: It's an issue of scarcity. Mm. It's, it's a scarcity mindset. And the the problem becomes everybody believes that they need every person who could possibly be a patient of theirs to become a patient or there won't be enough patients in order for them to make enough income. My response to that is always, not only is that not true, it's counterproductive. If every gym in town could say, this is the client who we serve. This is how we serve them. This is the process. This is why we are uniquely fit to serve this client in this way then no gyms would compete with each other. And there would be no race to the bottom in terms of price. Because if somebody walked into your gym and said, I want to go to competitive levels of fitness, you might say, can we do that? Yes. Do we do that? No. There is another gym in town who does that. It's called whatever. And I will connect you with the owner over there because they're really good people and they do a great job of that. And now when that person goes there, it doesn't matter what that gym charges. They can't go somewhere else and get the same thing for less. So now the decision that the client needs to make is do I really want that or not? And for people who are listening to this, who would say, well, that's not considerate of the client. Shouldn't there be competition in the marketplace? There's always competition in the marketplace. You can get what that other gym would provide online from another company, Mm. but I want to be able to get it in person. Well, then you need to pay in-person prices for it. And if every gym could do that, if every clinic could do that, then everybody could elevate the value of the service that they provide because the client walking through the door is the right client for the right service with the right professional. And that's worth more.
0: Mm. That's a valuable distinction. Right, And one that I notice, especially within the fitness space, and I imagine you notice it as well, everybody's the right gym for everybody.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether you want to get off the couch or go to the CrossFit Games or make the Olympics, we can help you. Yeah, you can, but maybe you shouldn't. And and I would go back to a point that you made earlier that was you know the doctors who are resistant to it. You think Exxon is a fan of Elon Musk? But Elon Musk's car company trades for more money per share on the stock exchange than the rest of the than the rest of the car companies on the stock exchange combined. Every car he sells in stock is worth over a million dollars. He hasn't sold the car for a million dollars. How does that work? It's people buying into the future. It's people buying into the reality that in the future we will have no more cars running on gasoline. And the technology to power the cars that do run will either be provided by Tesla or licensed by Tesla. That's why people buy Tesla stock. That's why Tesla is so valuable. And if you think that Jerry Jones of the Dallas Cowboys is an Elon Musk fan, you're crazy. The gas companies are not excited about this and it's coming no matter what.
0: One of the things that you're describing here is a shift in identity. Yeah. Right. So you specifically you active life are, they're trying to change the identity and operation of an entire industry across multiple sectors. I mean, we've discussed before, you know, fortitude strength has undergone an identity shift in itself, putting us in what I would a level of conflict with the local community. How do you, how do you reconcile that now on a much larger scale?
1: The well, so let me answer yours first, and then I'll answer how we do it. Okay. Um, the reason why there's any conflict at all in the local community is one of two things: they don't understand, or they do understand and they don't like it. For the latter, you go on with your merry way. We're not, you know, one of the lessons that I learned a long time ago was I can spend 90% of my time trying to convince 10% of people that they should do this, or I can spend 90% of my time working with the 90% of people who are craving more information and more support from me. Right. And I chose to do that, to yeah. go after the 90%. The, the people who disagree most uh, are often the loudest. Sure. you're not going to get people who are going to come out and support in droves something that they're like, oh, this is a nice ad. You will get people who will come out and say, absolutely not. For example, we have a an arts center that is filing for a permit to be able to open in our town. Mm-hmm. And there is a Facebook group dedicated to not allowing the arts center to open. Because the fear is... There's no parking there. It's going to ruin parking in our town. And by the way, it's on a really dangerous corner and it's for kids. So what if kids get hit by a car? And I went into the group and I said, I think that we need this center. I think that this is great. And it's across the street from the movie theater, which is mostly for kids. And we haven't been seeing an influx of kids getting hit by cars because there's a movie theater there. So I think that that's a moot point and there's no parking lot at the movie theater. So I think that's also a moot point. And the resistance to this place opening is aggressive. The group where people can support it is small. It's like, oh, this is so great. Can't wait for you to be here. But nobody wants to put themselves on the line for something that they believe is valuable. If the KKK was coming to march in your town, There'd be people who were like, no, this is offensive. We don't want these people to come to our town, despite the fact that it's their right and different conversation. If there was a a group coming to give flowers out to make people happy, you're not going to have a bunch of people flooding the streets to make sure that it's easy for them to get to all the houses. Right. Right. So I don't worry so much about the people who are aggressively opposed who do understand. I focus my energy on the people who understand and like it. And I try to teach them effectively enough to be able to share their insights with the people who don't understand and don't like it, but who trust that third party. And then I asked that third party for an introduction to the people closest on the fence, because I can help that person better understand and then give them a platform of knowing to be able to make a decision as opposed to guessing on their, on their viability. Now, the way that we do it on a scale model, I guess I don't, I don't actually see us as scale yet considering where I want us to go and where we are. It's no different. We get one-on-one client referrals from the largest hospital system in the Northeast. When their physical therapy clinic is done with a patient and the patient's not ready to return to the real world, they send us that patient. When they have a patient come in who has a need that physical therapy doesn't solve, they send us that patient. And we're not a medical service. We just provide coaching remotely. And so what, I, what I'm getting at there is not every doctor, not every physical therapist is going to refer us their patients when they're done. The hospital does though.
0: Has that relationship been built on experience? Did you actively pursue that?
1: I actively pursued it. So I actively pursued it by just being like, here's here's the thing. I am constantly assuming That an opportunity is going to come my way today. Every day, I assume something is going to happen today that is going to be an opportunity for me. So I need to keep my eyes open for it. And one day, a, a person commented on a post that I made on Instagram. I looked at the person's Instagram account. I said, That's a medical doctor who seems to have influence in the space that I want to influence. So I sent them a message, thanking them for reaching out, for commenting. Started a conversation with them. Ultimately, that conversation led to us getting lunch. Lunch, in quotes, nobody ate. And just talking about what we're both doing and trying to do. And now, that doctor refers patients. She was on the podcast. So it's now when, now when somebody else who's questioning us Asks about like, oh, how could I'm like, do you know, Dr. Amy West? Have you ever met Dr. Amy West? They're like, yeah, she's great. I love she refers to us patients all the time. Oh, she does. And and now all of a sudden, they're less, they're less animus.
0: Yeah, you've, you've created the, the, the person who they recognize, right? And now it's a shared experience piece. Yes, that, that every day, assuming that opportunity is coming, where does that mindset, where does that thought, where does that come from? Because if we're talking about growth versus fixed scarcity, abundance,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that I imagine for many people is a difficult mindset shift personally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um- the alternative sucks, Cody. It's that simple. It's, it's, it's really that simple. It's the alternative sucks. Oh, nothing's going to come my way. Oh, the world's not fair. It's so hard. Yeah, true. So if you're paying attention for the things that may come your way, all of a sudden you start seeing things as opportunities that, that never would have presented themselves as opportunities. It's it's inattention blindness to not. It's if you bought a white E five hundred Mercedes, you'd be like, I got the E five hundred Mercedes. Nobody else has it. It's in white. It's the pearl white, not the flat white. Cost me extra. And then you pull it off the lot, and you're like, someone. I never saw another one in my time. Now I'm seeing another one. I just turned down Main Street, and there's two parked. What? Where, where did all these come? you weren't looking for them. Yep. Now that you have it, it's on the front of your mind. They're all over the place.
0: What you're talking about is the reticular activating system, right? It's the brain's filter. Yeah. It's it's the the seeking and ye shall find, right? It's the close your eyes and don't think of the color red. Yes. The first thing you're going to think of is the color red.
1: Yeah. Don't think of a pink elephant.
0: Exactly. So this, this personal and professional evolution, right? This is I consider this an evolution of thought, being of who you are. You had mentioned that there was, you know, things were wild at one point in time and unfulfilling. Yeah. (laughs) So you made a. (laughs) I get that deeply. I get that. That was a very similar situation um, as an owner of the of Fortitude Strength. Right. We were in a a position in the beginning of 2020 when things were great. You know, we were making more money than we had ever made. The gym was full. People were running around when dude was carrying a yoke, bobbing in and out of people. And I'm trying to do a personal training session. There's a group class going on. There's two people over here doing their own Metcon. And I looked around and I was more unfulfilled with that state than I had been as a gym owner at any point in time. Mm-hmm. So my question for you in that is, why, why bother making the pivot, the shift? Why not just sit back and go, you know what? This is, this is less than optimal, but it's successful. So why don't I just stay the course?
1: Why did Dorothy step into the color? Once, once you see it, you can't go back to black and white. You know, the shift for me was I cannot go back to doing that. Yeah, I can make money doing that, but I got offered, before I opened my gym, Cody, I got offered a job to move to Hong Kong to work in finance in a job path that would lead me to seven figures within a year and a half to two years, annually, personally. And I turned it down to open a gym. For people who don't know, opening a small brick and mortar gym in a small town does not have a career trajectory of multiple seven figures within a year and a half to two years. Yeah. So I already made the decision once in my life that I was going to do something that was not chasing money. So now if I'm in a position where I'm looking at what's going on in my life and I don't love it, I need to change it Mm. just because it makes me money. If I, if I'm just about making money, I'll just go, go to Hong Kong, take that job. Yeah, sure. It's in Hong Kong. That's inconvenient. I'll take inconvenient for a few million dollars a year. So the question becomes not how, why make the pivot, but how could you possibly stay where you are? And the answer to that is fear. The reason somebody doesn't step out of where they are when they don't enjoy it is because they have fear that they can't create as good of a life as they currently have, even if they don't like that life by doing something else. So for reference, when I made the leap, January 1, 2018, in December, my salary for running my gym and my clinic was $10,000. Then there was bonus at the end of the year and all that kind of stuff. $10,000 was my income monthly. When I made the leap to run Active Life, my income was set to be $4,000. And I had spent a lot of my adult life struggling financially before I decided to make this leap. So I needed to overcome the fear and discomfort of back down by 60% income to pursue something that I believe is more worthwhile than what I'm currently pursuing. And Before I made the leap, I determined to myself what it would take to not have to take a pay cut at all. Like what would I have to do in January to equal my income? And I did it. In January, the company went from grossing $36,000 to grossing $85,000 in one month without Facebook ads, without Instagram ads, without like none of that stuff. It was just, I, I worked unsustainably and proved to myself, okay, this can be done. If like if, if life goes to hell in a handbasket, I know I can get a business to $85,000 a month. That can be done. Yeah. Then I said, okay, well, I need to prove to myself that I can build work for myself, not for other people, that if that business goes to hell, I can still do it. So I started a mentorship group and I sold to aspiring entrepreneurs, a personal and professional development program. I charged $5,000 for it. I capped it at 12 people. It was 17 weeks long. In the odd weeks, I worked with them as a group. And in the even weeks, I worked with them as individuals for 30 minutes. So nine Times well, nine times one is nine, right? Nine hours, and then eight weeks times six hours is an additional eight times six is 48. So 57 total hours. I sold the course out, I made sixty thousand, sixty six zero thousand dollars for 57 hours of my life, and I was like, okay. I can do this. If I ever need to, I can do this. I'm going to focus everything on this other thing. And that's when I started building active life. And for a while I maintained one-on-one business development clients. I charged them $2,000 a month. They got 15 minutes worth of a phone call with me each week and unlimited email. And eventually I got to the point that I'm like, I can't justify continuing to do this. Active life won't go where active life needs to go if I keep taking one-on-one business clients for $2,000 a month. But I was making $100,000 a year working 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock, 5.30 on Tuesdays. Mm. So it, all, all the proof I needed that I could do this whenever I needed to was there.
0: Yeah. One of the things that seems, if I'm trying to equate that to someone's fitness journey, right, it's understanding that, yeah, I can do this thing and it's going to be really hard and it may take a lot of work, dedication, effort, and energy, but it can be done. And once you see that one success, once you see yourself able to do that thing, you build the confidence Mm -hmm. that, okay, I can overcome this next thing, this next challenge as it presents itself.
1: What I would say to that is the mistake that business owners, fitness business owners make Uh, is either all the way to the left or all the way to the right. All the way to the left is this is not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard. You have to commit really, really hard on yourself. You need to know you want to do this. You need to be ready to financially commit. You need to know that this is a year long. And if you're interested in that, then I'm interested in talking to you. People will just shut that down. Generally, people will just shut that down. The other end, all the way to the right, is all you need to do is give us your email address and we're going to give you free workouts and then we'll sell you something down the line. But it's easy. It's super easy. Six-week challenge. It's free. The problem there is we all know that doesn't work. So you built a relationship with a client based on a lie and now you need to go back and tell them the truth and get them to buy from you. What people are interested in doing is hearing the truth in a way that they can step into with confidence. So it's getting started can be as easy as that's it. It don't, You don't need to talk about how to get to pro baseball. Hey, let's just get started throwing a ball in the yard. So the people won't opt into something unless they believe that there's a level of certainty that they can have success doing it. So if you're taking somebody, for example, Cody, from your town who doesn't eat healthy food because it's not a priority to them, they haven't been educated to do it. They don't currently exercise very often. They don't have friends who exercise very often and eat healthy food. And most of the people they know are overweight. I'm making this up, for example. Telling that cold water avatar. Okay. So telling that person in a year from now, If you commit to this, 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 and this, you're going to look like this, feel like this, move like this. They're like, the fuck I am. If you say to that person, fitness and lifestyle, it can be overwhelming. Let's make it simple. Let's start with a conversation. And in that conversation, we will identify the things that you are already doing really well. The things that you are not doing well, that you don't care to keep doing and we'll eliminate the things that you are happy to drop out of your life and we will accentuate the things that you love doing that you're already very good at and once we start to build those new habits you will start to see your body and your mind change then we'll talk about what to do next
0: that's important what you're de- what it seems like you're describing is the path right it's it's how are you as a professional as a coach taking the person from where they are to where they want to be
1: yeah if I, if I show you a staircase that goes to the top of a huge mountain and the top of the mountain can't even be seen because it's in the clouds and I say to you, climb to the top, you might do it. Somebody else might be like, I don't know how high that is. I don't have enough water. I don't know if I'm in shape to do this. How do I get down if I get stuck? Is there a cell reception up there? All of those things will come up for them. If I say to them, hey, you see that step right there? Just that bottom one. Let's get on that bottom step together. Okay. Nothing scary about that at all. And by the time they get halfway up, they're fit enough that the rest of it is not intimidating they have a level of confidence that they can get all the way to the top even if they can't even see it but they but they won't start if you start them with the idea of getting to the top
0: right with that what do you think is the what what is what do you imagine is the biggest or largest the largest barrier right now for the fitness professional for the coach to step into actually being able to help people make that first step.
1: It's the same as the kid in the hood who doesn't believe that he can get a career in business because the most successful person he knows is a drug dealer. The second most successful person he knows is a gangster who robs stores. They don't believe that they can become a professional in fitness because they don't know anybody who is a professional in fitness. And the reason, there's a lot of companies out there, Cody, who do things that are similar to what we do. Not the same, similar. The idea is the same. They want to help somebody get a career in fitness and good on them. One of the things that we were very intentional about doing differently is creating a network. So allowing these fitness professionals to interact with each other, to engage with each other. Because when you see that somebody else who started with you is achieving some semblance of success, you understand it's possible. And now what happens is you have friends who are not going to allow you to slack. You have friends who are going to be there for you if you need to call somebody to get some support. And it's not always going to be me. It's not always going to be our staff members. It's going to be the people who we put you in a group with and the people who we add to that group. And that allows you to see a path ahead that previously you're having to believe is possible from me, a person who you met at a seminar for two days. And by the way, that can have two effects. You can be the gym owner or the individual who struggles and you're seeing these other people have success and it's, it's deleterious to your confidence. You're like, I don't get it. I don't know what they're doing that I'm not doing. And that's when the value of other people in the group who are also not having the same success that that person's having, those conversations become valuable. It's, yo, us either. But we're seeing progress in this place, this place, and this place. And we believe it's going to lead to progress there. And you're like, oh man, you know what? I'm also seeing progress in those places. I didn't think of those as success until you just said it.
0: That's very similar. It seems very similar to... Um, going back to the journey in the gym, right? Or I think Les Brown talks about this. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, right? You become your social orbit. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Yes. It's very, it can be challenging. And if you do not make the concerted effort to be a part of that, to reach out to those people, to have conversations with them, to build yourself into the community, I imagine that the the struggle becomes larger becomes harder because you're sitting on the outside. Like, well, everybody else can have success. They can get fit. They can eat well, rather than going out and being like, Hey guys, this is where I'm doing well, but this is where I'm struggling with. What have you tried?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: How's this working out for you?
1: And that's the, the confidence to be vulnerable. Mm. One of the, one of the issues that I've seen in other groups that I've been in as, as a client, is everyone in the group is just flexing. Yeah, You know, um, I went to a mastermind one time and I had just bought a new car, a Buick Enclave, seven seats, zero to 60 in less than 10 seconds, I think. <laughs> and you know what? It holds all the kids. Yeah. I get to this mastermind and the people there knew each other and they were all just showing off pictures of their, their Porsche, their Ferrari, their Lambo, their Range Rover, their G wagon. And I was like, is this what, is this like, is this what you guys think the top is having pictures of fancy cars that you just bought? Is that like, is that really where it is? I was like, I drive a Buick. I told them, I was like, this is really cool. You guys all have those cars. Uh, I drive a Buick it's got seven seats, the middle tour captain's chairs. It's so cool. And, and I just, I knew right away I didn't fit in. And even if I did have a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or a G wagon, I'm not taking pictures in front of it, That's not, I don't have it for anybody else. So, and there's no disrespect to those people, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever inspires you. But, I recently was feeling a longing myself, Cody, for what you get in our group, which is the camaraderie of other professionals who are on the similar path to you. So I started my own. I started a group that's unpaid, that I'm just like, I'm going to put seven people in this group, some who I can help, you know, demonstrably that like their businesses are less mature than mine, and some who have done things that I want to be able to do, all of whom have abundance mindsets. And we're just going to have a conversation once a month and share a Slack group. And it's been great because it's, if you don't surround yourself with the people who you want to be more like, then you won't become like them. I heard Ed Malet talk about it. Uh, you don't want to be the most expensive house on your block. If you're the most expensive house on your block, everyone else's property is bringing your property value down. If you're the least expensive house on your block, your property value goes up because of all the houses around you. That's an interesting parallel.
0: Back to the, the success, right? It sounds like a, you have a very specific definition or a very specific success criteria for what? Is that accurate for you for life.
1: I don't know if I would, it's, it's, it's ambiguously specific. Okay. You know, um, success for me is I'm home at 530 and I'm not thinking about work. Hmm. That's it. Now, in order for me to be home at 530 and not thinking about work, a lot of things need to be true. We must have moved the needle today. Any problem that was on my desk this morning must either be solved or in the hands of somebody who is solving it. I have a goal for the day and for the week. And the goal for the day was achieved. And the goal for the week is in play. I have staff who fully are bought in on our mission and can effectively communicate it to others. Everybody on our team feels like they're in a safe and inspiring place to work. Our clients are happy. And all these things can be measured. If any of those are untrue, and I'm home at 5.30, I'm not necessarily there. So that's not a successful day.
0: You had mentioned that everyone clearly understands and is able to communicate the mission, right? I, I imagine um, a piece of that, or maybe this is rather one of the, uh, the core values, right? Is to turn pro. It's something that if anybody's paying attention to your Instagram, you're seeing that constantly, that consistent messaging of turning pro. Mm-hmm. What does that mean?
1: So I wrote it down because we have a very specific definition and I don't want to get any other words wrong. Turn pro is a verb. It is the courageous commitment to one's own fulfillment via personal and professional excellence in service to a worthwhile cause greater than oneself. So an example here is when I decided to go all in on active life, the hardest people to tell Were my wife and my parents. It's easy to let yourself down. It's easy to let yourself down. Like you'll never hold yourself accountable uh, all of the time. And all of these people, my parents and my wife, had seen me struggle for so long and finally start to glean some success. And I was ready to give it all up for the opportunity to pursue something completely uncertain. And my wife never tried to talk me out of it. My parents did. I love them. Jewish parents are happy, as long as you're happy, doing something that they want you to do for a living. (laughs) And that's only because they believe it's the best way for you to be happy. Sure. So it took me a few months to figure out the best way to talk about this with my parents. And finally, I said, if I'm understanding all the reasons why you would be resistant to me doing this. I imagine that it all comes down to, you just want me to be happy. And you believe the best way for me to be happy is to continue being a doctor and a gym owner. Is that right? Yes. Thank you. So that is exactly right, Sean. Now you understand. Thank you. I said, I want to explain something to you. I understand why you believe that would make me happy. I would be happier failing like I was for the last three years, pursuing something that I am passionate about than I would be experiencing success like I have in the last year, doing something that is not my dream. So I will every single day forego certain success in what I'm already doing for the uncertain pursuit of something that I am passionate in and be happier failing at it. And both of them were like taken back by that. It was the first time maybe in my life that i had said something to my parents that stopped them. Their immediate response was, at least don't let your license lapse just in case. Mm. To which I said, no problem. I will keep my license because I knew I wasn't ready to have that conversation. And nine months later, my license had lapsed. I told my parents, my father nearly lost his shit. And I was like, it do- it doesn't matter. I don't want a parachute. I don't want an escape plan. This is what I'm doing. I don't need to be a doctor to do it. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste 36 hours every three years to Keep a license that I have no interest in using. It's just not worth it.
0: Has your one of the things that I enjoy about you very much is I I believe you have the ability to very effectively communicate in a what I'm going to a no bullshit we're not going to dance around this way. Has, is that a skill that you've acquired? Is this something innate? Have you worked very hard on this? Have you always found yourself able to do this?
1: I always hesitate uh, to answer this question honestly. And then I answer it honestly anyway. The reason I hesitate to answer this question honestly is I want to make sure that people who don't have similar experiences to me still feel inspired that they can have this kind of communication. When I was in third grade, I didn't like the way that my teacher was talking to me and so i came home and told my parents i didn't like the way my teacher was talking to me and i asked them to do something about it and they said we will come with you and stand behind you when you tell the teacher miss Herr Hardick, what you don't like and we will be there to support you but you are going to be the one who talks to the teacher Okay. And I did that. Um, That was one of the most valuable lessons that I I learned growing up. Now, fast forward, when I was 32 years old, I was in clinic. I was barely breaking $30,000 a year. I was working 16 hour days because I would coach the 5 a.m., the 5.30 a.m. class. And then I would coach the 8 p.m. class. I would see patients in between and I was running an event on the side. They put 1200 athletes at the event. None of those things are making any money. And I could not understand why. And people used to tell me, "Um, you seem like a dick, but then once I get to know you, you're actually really likable. And I wore that as a badge of honor for a while. Like, yeah, I'm hard to, you know, like, Take it or leave it, bro. And then I realized that too many people were leaving it. And it wasn't because my intent wasn't there. It was because my communication of my intent wasn't there. It was, you're going to take it or you're going to leave it. And I am who I am. I'm not looking to change for you. And I haven't changed for anybody. I have learned to better represent who I am and what I believe and how I want to help somebody than I was able to before. I'm willing to work harder than I was before. I hired a mentor. His name was Dirk. Dirk came in the first day. He said, if you want to be more successful in business, you need to become a better person. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm great. He's like, yeah, okay. Then you don't need me. And we went on a nine-month journey where we didn't really discuss business at all. It was all about communication and delivering with intent and earning trust and being the best possible version of who I am. And in those nine months, I made from make, I went from making $30,000 a year running three businesses to making $120,000 a year effectively running one. I had given up the event I had delegated responsibility in the gym to somebody else. And I was just seeing patients. And I was working half the hours, making four times the money. And that's when I realized I don't love this. Because I can see myself going and tripling my income even from there in that environment. I knew exactly what it would take to do it and I had no interest in it, none. So I left. But the communication all came from me striving to be the best version of myself and always being willing to work harder in conversations than somebody else's. To assume that if they're angry with me or they disagree, it's because they don't understand or because I misrepresented my intent. How could I have done a better job there? Being fast to apologize. That's that's what i can say to somebody about communication there's probably some of it was innate probably some of it was taught to me as a young child and certainly a lot of it i learned as an adult as an old dog learning new tricks
0: there seems to be a uh, there seems to be an undertone of personal responsibility mm-hmm. there and in fitness in particular from a client perspective I notice and maybe it's always been this way. Maybe I'm just noticing it more frequently. There seems to be the story that, well, it's just it's really hard for me, my parents, my community, my whatever, rather than being like, I'm the one who put me here. It's 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 my genetics. It's my I don't have the time. I don't have whatever the thing is. Rather than saying, this is my responsibility. I got myself here. Here's how I can fix it.
1: Well, all that's true. Someone else did get you there. Your surroundings did put you there. The people you know did put you there. You didn't know how to not go there. So you contributed to you going there. Mm. Here's the red pill. What do you want to do about it? You know, it's, it's the understanding that who you are today is a result of the choices that you've made leading up to today. But who you are tomorrow is a brand new choice. So the hard thing about it is we often identify by the places that we go, the people we talk to. The sports that we watch, like all of all of the things that we would describe as us, I'm a I'm a football. I love the Mets. I'm a big Jets fan. I used to have Nick season tickets with my parents. Well, I didn't. They had them, and I would go. And I haven't watched a sporting event in two years. I missed the Super Bowl, both of the last two years. I don't care. I couldn't name five players on either team that participated in the Super Bowl. I don't know who is starting opening day for the Mets. I have no idea. No, And I used to go to games all the time. I mean, I could not name one player on the Knicks. Not one. I, I think basketball season's underway right now, but I'm not even really sure. I don't know anyone in the NHL. Couldn't name a single player. And I used to identify as a Mets fan, as a Jets fan, as a Knicks fan, as an Islanders fan. I would spend hours a week watching sports. I would my Sunday would be 11 a.m or noon really, until 9:30, 10 o'clock at night, even later if the Sunday night game was good. And then Monday night I'd watch a game. And there was a game on Thursday, I'd watch that one too. And if there was a Mets game in between, I'm watching that. I would spend a career watching sports and identifying as a sports fan. I'm not a sports fan, not anymore. So the difficult part of that is the people I used to watch sports with, who still watch sports, who still get beers to watch the game. There is that moment in time where those people will say to you, Oh, you're better than us now. Like you don't want to come watch the game and drink. It's not that I'm better than you. It's that I'm different than I was before. And I don't know if you would like who I am as much as who I was. And no disrespect. I don't want to do that with you anymore. I'm not interested in the conversations that you're interested in. That's the hard part. The hard part is starting a new life with new people. I'll. One of the things I dread doing right now is going to events at my daughter's school after hours. Not because I don't love my daughter, not because I don't want to watch her do things. The opposite. Because I want to be there. I want to watch my daughter. I want to be in it. And there are dads who will come over to me and complain about their wives, complain about their job, complain about their kids. And I'll tell them, I hope you have the opportunity to work on that. What I want to say is stop fucking talking to me. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to be around that kind of energy. So the hard part is departing from who you were, who people knew you to be, the people who liked you when you were there and becoming the version of yourself that you're meant to be.
0: That focus, that ability to shed the old version or let go of the things that no longer serve you takes stepping into an identity that I imagine you have cultivated around leadership Mm -hmm. and being a leader. I don't know if you've, if you self-identify as a leader or um, if that is a title that you, uh, that you like or do not like, but what does leadership mean to you? Do you identify with that? I mean, let's go there.
1: I, I do identify with it. And to me, a leader understands the circumstances in which they should lead and the circumstances in which they should follow. That's how a leader becomes believable. If, if you talked to me, it, not if you talked to me, if, if, if you said, we're going to build this picnic table And we need someone to to take the lead. If I stepped up and took the lead on that, you would never trust me to lead you in anything else again. So I understand when I'm outside of my zone of genius and I avoid leading there. When I am in my zone of genius, I avoid allowing anybody else to lead me because I just have this intense belief that I'm going to be able to do it better. So, leadership to me means that you can create a safe and inspiring environment for other people to become their best versions of themselves within. That's what leadership is to me. It's not that I can show you how to do it. It's not that I can be the example that you want to be. It's that when you're with me, when you're around me, when you're in my presence, when you're in my sphere, you feel safe to say whatever you need to say, to do whatever you need to do, to act however you need to act. And you feel inspired by that safety to take the chances on yourself that you wouldn't otherwise take. Because you know that you have the support of leadership, of others in the group, and that if anybody steps out of line in the group and tries to make it more difficult for you to be the best version of yourself, that leadership will crack down on that person.
0: One of the, one of the things I've noticed is following you over the last I'm going to say year and a half and listening to a lot of the the messaging and as it's progressing and changing you are undergoing a personal shift out of the the warrior man in the trenches got to do everything into that you know the archetype would be a king role
1: it's just a different trench yeah you know the 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 difference is there's the frontline trench which is I, at one point in, the, in my company's history, had 86 one-on-one clients. Today I have zero. Uh, that's, that's helping people through program design, not the business stuff. Sure. And that's a frontline trench. That is an execution task that I was extremely good at when I was doing it. And then I became acutely aware that we would be a better company if I could support other people at doing this because while I could handle 86 to 100 and do a really good job, other people could handle 50 to 60 and do a really good job. So if I could have three people do what I'm doing, I'm break even financially. The company is break even financially, and every person thereafter is profitable. So all I need to do is gain the skill of acquiring the next client after three full time coaches have their full. Why would I spend time here where I'm now capped out? So I moved back a trench, further away from the front line. And I taught people how to go to the front line and not get killed. Then it was, oh, wow, okay, I'm, I'm mentoring these people and they're doing well. But if I could just focus more on where we're going, somebody else could manage helping these people not get killed. And I took another step back back myself up in the trench, made sure somebody else could do the job. Then the vision, writing out the vision and, and, and thinking about where you want to go and being ready to pivot. It's okay. This is a good spot for me. What needs to be true to in order for us to, to actually achieve any of this? It's not what you know, it's who you know. So I would, I started spending my time networking getting to know people who knew people who could help me, who wanted my help. And you just keep on moving back and back and back and back. And every once in a while you head to the front line and make sure everything there is going really well. And you work your way back to your seat to make sure that all of the levels on the way back are functioning the way that they're supposed to. When you find something that's broken, you bring in all the people who've been taught to fix that problem and they attack it like white blood cells to a, bacteria. And in the end, what, what I find is that now I'm just playing a totally different game. I am now playing virtual chess. Who do I want to have relationships with? Just because I believe that it would be valuable for us to know each other. And when the opportunity presents, how do I ask that person to allow me to extract some of their value? How do I bring value to them so that if and when I ask them, they're like, yeah, of course. So it, it I know how that can sound. It can sound like transactional friendships. And it's not that at all because I believe that... Um, Even regular friendships every day are based on value. Are you bringing more value than it's costing me to be in this relationship with you? So when you get into the business world, it's just that we all want different things. We're all having different conversations. When I talked to Kelly Sturette, who was my total idol when I got into CrossFit, and now he's a friend, I I asked him for business advice. I give him business advice. We, I ask him about parenting advice. You know, like we, we're able to have conversations with each other because we continue to bring value to each other. And it's not transactional. It's relationship.
0: I imagine there has to be some level of innate fear, right? When replacing yourself in some of these roles. And what I can imagine from a business owner standpoint is the fear that this thing won't get done as well as it would if I were to be the one doing the thing.
1: It never does.
0: How do you reconcile that?
1: The thing won't get done as often. If I'm the one doing the thing all the time. And also is this the life that I want to be living Because if it's not, ultimately, you're going to burn out doing the thing. And you won't be as good as you used to be at doing the thing. And you'd be better off bringing people in to do the thing who love doing the thing all the time. And allow them to do the thing while you figure out what the thing you want to do is. Like, I I would have told you four years ago, nobody can do this job better than me, period, period. Plain and simple, I was at the CrossFit Games and there was the Arasti booth. If you've ever been you haven't most people listening to this probably have not been in the warm up area at the CrossFit Games, so I'll give you some insight. Okay. Athletes walk in through these double doors and there is a huge setup for Arasti. I mean, I'm talking there are probably 20 Arasti docks. You make an appointment, you go see the doc and there are 20 tables and they're all in there treating athletes, putting tape on them, scraping them, whatever. I went in there and was not even allowed to bring my table because they didn't want anyone in there competing with the Erosti people to work with the athletes for the photo ops and all that kind of stuff. I had a line, 40 athletes long while Arrasti was treating whoever they were treating. One of me, 20 of them, I had a line 40 athletes long. I had a schedule all day. It was like a walk-in clinic at the CrossFit Games on the floor behind the pull-up rig in between the team warm-up area and the individual warm-up area. I thought I was the best in the world at treating, program design, all of it. I had... Tia Toomey, followed by Brooke Wells, followed by Rich Froning, followed by Jared Stevens, followed by James Newberry, followed by Brent Fikowski. They were all just walking over and getting their work done, having their conversations. Uh, the reason why that's relevant is I never in my mind imagined somebody else would do it better than me. And now there's no way in any world that I take those clients. None. I cannot, I cannot do one-fifth the job that our staff can do. Not one fifth. They are so much better than me. Light years ahead of me. More dedicated, more intentional, more, more, more sophisticated, more specific, more interested. I would never take a client like that again.
0: Is that because that's their unique genius?
1: Yes. They love doing that. I loved doing it because of what I thought it meant about me that they wanted to work with me, not because I love doing it.
0: One of the things that I've seen from you a few times and I've heard through having conversations with you is that you have a very well-defined personal mission.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Something that I imagine you revisit frequently and daily, if I understand correctly, yes? Mm-hmm. You constantly ask yourself, is this still true? Mm -hmm. Is this accurate? Did having that and creating that, was that a point for you to be like, all right, this gives me clarity. This helps me set the direction.
1: Kind of. I got it from, I'm going to pull it up and read it to you. The reason I need to read this again is because it changes. Um, The mission statement you're talking about is, with empathy and effort, I demonstrate intentionally my love for my wife. Through my actions, my words, and my patience, I deliberately coach my children to be confident, capable people. I influence positive change in this world so that others find success they otherwise might not have. And through the execution of my process, I have left a legacy that my children, future generations, and I am proud of. That was a challenge that was put to me by a mentor who I hired in 2018 named Jesse Itzler. It was to come up with a statement that that actually encapsulated who I was and what I wanted to be able to do, and yeah, reading that every day and determining if it still gives me goosebumps, determining if envisioning that coming true uh, inspires emotion. That's maybe one of the maybe the most valuable thing I do every day because it it keeps me on task, and that statement has changed since. I hired Jesse and he asked me to write it. What's changed about it though, interestingly enough, has not been the, the intent, but the language. It's ch- As I learned better language. Mark England, Procabulary, taught me some great language lessons. Instead of me talking about I will, I talk about it as if I already have. Instead of me using soft talk and talking about the things I would like to do, I talk about them as if they are definitely going to happen, and those little shifts—they are such small shifts—and they transform everything that follows them.
0: Mark has a, an interesting way about him, and especially an interesting way of helping phrase stories, reinvention, um, create better understanding and clarity. Mark was actually on the podcast um, mm. with us. One of the one of the last things that that came to mind as you were as you were talking about that was the willingness to sit with it read it ask is this still true
1: Mm
0: -hmm. one of the one of the through lines of your story is that willingness to do that constantly reinvent or change or adapt or create a better thing why is it so valuable for the people listening to sit with who they are and constantly ask themselves, is this still true for
1: I me? Think, I think that a valuable exercise, if I can shift the question a bit, that okay. people can do is a lot of people struggle to figure out what they want, who they want to be, what they want to achieve. And the, the wide array of freedom to make those decisions is overwhelming. And it feels almost incarcerating, right? Like, okay, I can do anything I want to do. I'm going to do nothing because I don't want to do the wrong thing. Focus the opposite. What is the thing? What is the state that you fear most? What do you most want to avoid? Like deep down in your gut, what is it that on your deathbed you will do Anything to avoid having to say or face as your reality. And for me, when I did that, it was, I am deathly afraid of failing to reach my own potential. I'm even more afraid of knowing that the reason I didn't reach my potential is because I didn't take chances on myself to do it. And so... Every day when I'm making the decisions about, is there a better way to do this? I am more afraid of not finding a better way than I am of having to change who I am to do that better thing. And that can be something that for people is overwhelming and too fluid. So I want to bring it down to a really granular level. Those changes, that statement, has not changed in terms of what the average person hearing it would hear when I read it in two and a half years. It's a wildly different statement to me. That's, that's the kind of change that I think we should be seeking. It's too often people try to solve lifelong problems in six weeks. If you, if you ask yourself, instead of saying, Can I be that person in five years? Ask yourself, what are the things that that person can do that I can't? If I, if there, let's say there are five things, if you dedicated an entire year to only getting good at one of them, is it likely that you'd be closer to being that person in five years? Yes. Great. That's now a skill that you have. The next year, leverage another skill. Spend the whole year trying to gain that skill. Are you closer? Yeah. In five years, is it now reasonable to believe that you will be that person? Yes. But if you try to solve that problem in one year and gain all of the skills in that one year, it's reasonable to say that you will fail to be that person in five. So free yourself of having to be everything at once and solve for the things that you most need, one at a time.
0: That was Dr. Sean. That was very elegantly and beautifully put. Thanks. Yeah, man. I imagine you've got you've had some practice in uh, in refining that.
1: That's actually the first time I've ever said it. the The interesting, like, the, I think about it a lot because mm. my my goals for what we do at Active Life are are big. They're really big their industry changing big. I want health insurance companies paying our the coaches we educate. Like this is not, we're not talking about building a million dollar business. I've, I've done that and it's not exciting. The money is not the thing. But if I focus on, I need all of that right now, then none of it happens. If I focus on, okay, what would need to be true if we were going to acquire 1,000 new clients next week, could we do it? No. Well, then why are we talking about why don't we have a 1,000 clients? What does the company need to be to be able to handle a 1,000 new clients next week? Let's break everything that couldn't handle those clients and rebuild it so that we could handle those clients should they come in. That doesn't make more money right now. In fact, it costs money. It sucks. But it's discipline that... Over the last six months, we have been running the company at a virtual break even. right? Like I mean the company brings in plenty of money. We're virtually break even over the last six months because we are finally ready to scale. We're finally ready for a thousand people to come in at the same time. And so now we'll start pursuing how does that happen?
0: the willingness to embrace the adversity now for the future gain, the future positive outcome?
1: It's, it's, it's an immediate positive outcome. It's just not monetary. Hmm. You know, what, what happens is like, you're seeing it to, we have a meeting every day now for, for ProPath gym owners. I'm not hosting any. And the people who are hosting them will do a better job than I would do hosting them because they will have more attention, more intention and more focus in those meetings. I do the one on Friday because I like talking to the gym owners and their staff. So it's, it's freeing for me. Now what's next becomes, okay, well, I get a different puzzle to solve. I love puzzles.
0: Is there, is there anything kind of wrapping us up that you would like to touch on, a final message you would like to leave everybody with that, that maybe we haven't hit or we wanna reiterate from our conversation today?
1: I would reiterate to everybody that they don't need to be who they believe they want to be to treat themselves with the respect that they would treat that person with. And you will never let anybody else talk to you in a way that is more damaging than the way you talk to yourself. And so what that means is if you, Stop talking to as If you do something as simple as eliminating your ability, your freedom to speak about yourself in a negative way, even in joke, it will change everything else for you. It starts there. You don't have to worry about any of the other stuff that Cody and I discussed. Start off by vowing to yourself that you will only speak positively and constructively about yourself. Honestly, positively and constructively. So you don't get to make jokes about how fat you are. You don't get to make jokes about your big nose. You don't get to make jokes about your inability to read well. You don't get to make jokes about how broke you are. All of that stuff is gone. Because you wouldn't want somebody else who you care about to make those jokes about you. But you're okay with it because it's you. When you eliminate all of that and you start treating yourself like somebody who you respect and even revere, people in your life will fall off because they're unwilling to talk to you the way that you now talk to yourself and you are unwilling to be around people who talk to you in the way that they do. And that will build the foundation for who you become. That got me all fired up. That's good. I love it. I would Dr. drop the mic, but it's it's it's, it's, it's <laughs> an, I get yelled at by our media team. Oh, one
0: hundred percent. Clearly would lose it. Yeah. Uh, where can people where can people get to know more about you? Where can they follow you?
1: It's easy as Dr. Sean Pastuch on Instagram. If they head to the Dr. Sean Pastuch on Instagram, D R S E A N P A S T U C H, it will lead you anywhere else you want to go. You'll find our business accounts from there everything starts there.
0: Awesome. Dr. Sean, I appreciate your time. Thank you for hopping on this episode of Fortitude Radio. And everyone else, I will see you guys at the gym. Peace.